Hello, I'm Daryl Root. This is News Folder 19, the podcast that even the Pink Panthers Inspector Clouseau can't figure out, but you can because you're smart. If you're under 50, you may have to do a Pink Panther movie search to find out who Inspector Clouseau was. Today's topics include... Can one murder a frozen embryo, hydrogen vehicles, economic news, and more? But before I get to that, please consider visiting the sponsors page at camprigger.net. That's camp, R-I-D-G-E-R.net for the best salt-free seasonings, which allow you to salt your foods to your own family's taste or yours. Four blends can be had for as little as $7 per one cup container if you order four or more. With that said, let's get right into all the news stories. News story number one. In 2021, a patient at the Mobile Alabama Center for Reproductive Medicine wandered into the clinic's cryogenic nursery and removed several frozen embryos. According to a lawsuit, the sub-zero temperatures at which the embryos had been stored freezer-burned the patient's hand, causing the patient to drop the embryos on the floor, killing them. I'm going to assume patient is an editorial typo, although it might not be, in that they meant employee, because if a patient is handling embryos and wandering into a storage room, the facility has a much bigger problem. Three couples who lost their frozen embryos sued for a wrongful death, but the clinic claimed that the Alabama's Wrongful Death and Minor Act did not apply to embryos outside of the womb, which I agree with and will explain a little later. The Mobile County Circuit Court judge also agreed with the clinic's argument and ruled to dismiss the case. But, the state Supreme Court threw it out last week. In a first-of-its-kind decision, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that the frozen embryos are children, allowing two wrongful death suits to proceed. State Supreme Court Justice Jay Mitchell wrote that the embryos are indeed protected under the state's existing law. He implied that the central question presented is whether the wrongful death of a minor act contains an unwritten exception as to whether unborn children who are located outside of a biological uterus are the same as unborn children in the womb, to which he answered, yes. Anti-abortion advocates have been pushing for amendments that would grant fetuses and embryos the same rights as living, breathing children. So let me lay it out for you. If you have read my book or have listened to my opinion on abortion during one of my podcasts, you know the following. Biologists have at least five major criteria for determining what constitutes a life. I will mention two of them. One, life can and does react to its surroundings. And two, it can and does regenerate cells. While an active fetus does both, a frozen embryo does neither. 
It is not alive. It is not a child. The Alabama Supreme Court's ruling, should it set a precedent, could put an end to in vitro fertilization as an option for couples. What medical facility storing hundreds of frozen embryos wants to be charged with hundreds of counts of involuntary manslaughter or worse because its facilities may suffer innocent human error or a highly unfortunate catastrophic equipment breakdown? Could the freezer manufacturer also be charged in the case of frozen embryo deaths? That's a question to be answered. What do you think? New story number two. Could hydrogen vehicles offer a third driving option and overtake petrol and the battery? I did a podcast on this in the past, so some of this may be old news. Check out the original. Toyota is the most vocal proponent of hydrogen, saying the share of battery cars could peak at 30%, which is slightly higher than my prediction of 25% with hydrogen and internal combustion engines making up the rest. BMW said last year that hydrogen is the missing piece in the jigsaw when it comes to emission-free mobility. BMW has its iX5 hydrogen fuel cell car in testing using Toyota fuel cells. Despite hydrogen being the most abundant gas in the atmosphere, Most pure hydrogen today is made by splitting carbon from methane, but that produces carbon emissions. To use hydrogen as a fuel, it can be burned or it can be used in a fuel cell, which requires a catalyst often made from expensive platinum. Hydrogen supposedly offers refueling in four minutes, higher payloads, and longer range, according to Stellantis, which has started production of hydrogen vans in France and Poland. Opponents, such as David Sebon, a professor of mechanical engineering, said, quote, If you use a green hydrogen, it takes about three times more electricity to make the hydrogen to power a car than it does just to charge a battery, unquote. In addition, the gas is highly flammable. Remember the Hindenburg? They probably don't teach that in history anymore. And hydrogen must be stored under pressure and it also leaks easily. It also carries less energy per unit volume than fossil fuels, meaning it will require many times more tankers and less on-site expensive electrolyzers are used. The article goes on to explain that for better or for worse, hydrogen is probably on a losing path. Manufacturers are putting all their money into electric. My issues with hydrogen are twofold. What chemicals and minerals other than pricey platinum may be required? And if water is the only byproduct, are high traffic cities in cold climates where it freezes constantly during the winter going to suffer from icy roads as the water drips out of the vehicles. For me, I'll stick with the enemy I know, at least for now. News story number three. In, we're getting dumber news. The U.S. Supreme Court justices grappled with a North Dakota convenience stores challenge 
to a government regulation on debit card swipe fees. Those are fees that banks charge to merchants to cover their transactions cost. The store called Corner Post began operations in 2018, these dates are important, and filed a lawsuit despite the fact that a law regulating them was passed in 2011 and gave merchants a six-year statute of limitations to file for any financial injury. That would be 2017. Corner Post, in another example of America is getting dumber, argued it should not be bound by the statute of limitations because it opened for business in 2018, meaning its legal injury arose only after the deadline has passed. I mean, think about that. You know, excuse me, but as someone who has signed on and still has a merchant account with a credit slash debit card company, let me make one thing clear. The contract. Everyone who gets a merchant account is given a legal agreement with all the details put in writing on exactly how the account operates and the charges involved. If you sign the agreement, you agree to the conditions. There is no injury. There was no contract breach in this case. This needs to be thrown out. It shouldn't even be looked at. Court Justice Elena Kagan worried about the potential for disruption should the court permit such lawsuits to be brought a decade or more after a regulation was finalized. Such an outcome, Justice Department lawyer Benjamin Snyder said, could put in jeopardy, quote, Every regulation that an agency has adopted in the last, I don't know, 75 years or something? Unquote. The article doesn't even state what the exact injury is that Corner Post suffered, but it kind of implies that Corner Post considers the fees are regulations they consider unlawful and burdensome. Not if you accepted them when you signed on to a merchant contract. No one forced you to accept debit cards as a form of payment. If you don't like it, accept cash only. You do what every other company must do. Add it to the cost of a product or service when you price them. If you don't know how to account for expenses, you shouldn't be in business. By the way, the fees are capped at $0.21 cents per transaction plus usually about a 2.9 percentage of the transaction in addition. Liberal Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, the latest one, noted that a lawsuit by a new business could upset regulations that other companies had followed for decades and that at some point a rule should be considered final. Thank you, Ms. Jackson. Some common sense. With that, it's time to take a short break. I'll be back in about 30 seconds. Only 15% of podcasters will ever earn a single penny in profits. Yet more continue to record for one reason. They enjoy informing and entertaining. If you'd like to support this show, visit newsfolder19.com and click on the Buy Me a Coffee or Merchandise link. All donations are greatly appreciated. Now, back to the show. 
Hello, and welcome back to News Folder 19. Just need to do my usual shout-outs to Dan Heim, the provider of all the background music, and to Susan Kennedy, who does the voiceovers. Don't forget, you can support the show at newsfolder19.com. There are links to purchase merchandise, make a one-time donation, a monthly donation, purchase my book, etc. Also, please go to my Facebook page, just facebook.com slash newsfolder19 and ask to be a friend. Well, that, let's get on to the final two stories. News story number four. The conference board on Tuesday abandoned a long-running call for the U.S. economy to fall into recession, although its leading economic index still sees economic output flatlining in the months ahead. I hate to say I told you so. Well, actually, I do. (laughs) But I told you so. Early last year, I defied the experts and said there would be no recession. And there wasn't. I said the same thing at the beginning of this year, and now the pundits are slowly agreeing with me. The conference board first announced in July of 22 that the index signaled a recession was coming. It had repeated that forecast with each month's report until last week. U.S. economic output, job creation, and consumer spending all continued at above-trend levels throughout, and no recession has materialized. While growth shrunk by 0.4% in January, growth is still growth. Declines in growth have occurred for the 23rd straight month, but growth is still growth. It's like inflation. Whether inflation is 9.1% or 3.1%, it's still inflation. Growth is still growth, and it may start getting bigger. For the first time in the past two years, six out of the ten components were positive contributors over the past six-month period. As a result, the leading index currently does not signal a recession ahead. So the serious question is this. Should I reverse my opinion? I have learned over the decades that when the experts say something, that's when you start looking for the opposite to occur. Experts are in it for themselves, not you. It's best to be leery when they give future advice. The largest positive contributor to the turn from a recession forecast came from the recent surge in stock prices to record highs. The S&P 500 index has risen by more than 20% since late October after signals from the Federal Reserve that its interest rate increases aimed at containing inflation is over and that rate cuts are expected this year. And if you follow the stock market long term, record highs usually have a correction involved. It's just by a matter of how much. Persistently low numbers of new filings for unemployment benefits and measures of future credit availability, home building permits, and new orders of manufactured goods also contributed to this change in the outlook. However, don't forget, all trends eventually reverse. So yes, 
My advice now is trending to be two words. Be leery. And last but not least, news story number five. On Friday, the United States imposed even more ridiculous sanctions against Russia, none of which will work to end the war, targeting more than 500 people and entities to retaliate for the death of the Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. So, in essence, we are going to make life miserable for the Russian citizens over the death of one man. President Joe Biden said the measures aimed to ensure Russian President Vladimir Putin pays an even steeper price for his aggression abroad and repression at home. And how well have previous sanctions worked? Answer, about as well as Biden talking without a teleprompter. You need evidence? The United States and its allies have imposed previous sanctions on thousands of Russian targets. However, Russia's export-focused $2.2 trillion economy has proved more resilient to two years of unprecedented sanctions than either Moscow or the West anticipated. Sanctions, which rarely work, are imposed for two reasons. One, to avoid an actual war, and two, and maybe more importantly, is to give the appearance of caring and supposedly doing something about it, even though you're not. The U.S. Treasury imposed new sanctions on state-owned National Payment Card System, the operator of the Mirror Payment System. It also targeted over a dozen Russian banks, investment firms, venture capital funds, and financial tech companies, including SPB Bank, which is owned by Russia's second largest stock exchange. This is stupid. This is going to affect innocent civilians far more than any government entity. The United States targeted Russia's future energy production and exports, especially the Arctic LNG2 project in Siberia. This is only going to make liquefied natural gas more expensive around the world. The State Department also targeted Russia's Zvezda Shipbuilding Company, supposedly involved in the construction of 15 highly specialized LNG tankers. And, if that isn't enough, the United States also imposed sanctions on at least 93 entities based in China, Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, Kazakhstan, and tiny little Liechtenstein. Many of you probably don't even know there is a country named Liechtenstein. Why? Because those countries did what every country should do. They acted in their own best interest, their own self-interest. In this case, it just happened to be by evading Western sanctions on Russia. Economical self-destruction, no matter what country you live in, is stupid. Those countries will be put on a commerce entity list, essentially banning U.S. shipments to them, which means less commerce for our own citizens here in the U.S., 
This is stupid. All of this over the death of one man who, unlikely as it may seem, may have died from natural causes. Naturally, that will never be our innocent till proven guilty spin on the situation because we all know everyone works on guilty until proven innocent nowadays. That's not what our Constitution says. With that, it's time to call another podcast. You know the mantra, question authority, and always be free. Thank you for listening to News Folder 19. All rights are reserved and unauthorized use is prohibited. However, you may share the podcast links. Till next time, have a great day.